Hi, and welcome to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. This week's episode is with Dr. Henry Fraser, my brother, and I speak with him about swearing in civil conversation, uh, citation, again in rhetoric, and uh, the precision of communication that is being maybe lost or maybe not lost. Um, it's a much more interesting conversation than that list of topics would indicate. We also talk about his new project, uh, the thing that he's working on post-PhD, uh, which is a fascinating thing. It's fascinating work. And if, if it's something you're interested in, it is very interesting indeed. So I hope we kind of make it interesting for the people who are not interested in it. Dear me, you might be able to hear in my voice, I'm still somewhat sick. I followed up Edinburgh with walking the West Highland Way with my father, which was lovely, but probably not the right call to make in terms of following a month of very heavy uh, brain work with some pretty intense physical work. It was beautiful, though, and I met all sorts of landscapes and creatures, and we met some nice people along the way, so that was, that was glorious. Anyway, I am still a little bit um, slow in the brain trying to kind of rev back up into real life, Thank you, everybody, who has subscribed on the Patreon. It's an incredible thing. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, thank you, everybody who has done that, people who do the Skype conversations. Thank you, everyone who has just been utterly support, supportive and delightful about the trilogy, which is now out in full. Um, and the only negative feedback that I've seen, not that I've been seeking it out, has been about the release schedule and the cutting up of the shows, which... Uh, is something I fought very hard against. Um, I wanted them all to come out as one solid block as I wanted them, as I performed them, more or less, so that people could listen at their own leisure and if they wanted to cut it up, they could do it themselves. Anyway, that aside, uh, I am very pleased. It's been so lovely, everybody who has listened to that, people who have watched The Resistance, both on ABC, I think it aired on the ABC, and is also now out on um, Amazon Prime, and people are leaving really nice reviews there. That's something you can do if you enjoy this podcast or the Trilogy podcast or or The Resistance on Amazon Prime or any of those things. You can leave a nice rating. Um, that's something you can do that doesn't involve you know paying into the Patreon or whatever that can support my work. And I genuinely am always incredibly thrilled with nice, nice feedback. Probably too thrilled, to be honest, because then it means you have to take the negative feedback on board as well. Um, enough of that. The trilogy is up. The resistance is up. Um, the resistance is part of the trilogy, but the podcast version of the resistance is different from the film version of the resistance. The podcast version is more of a radio play. The filmed is just the st straight stand-up thing. They are both available, and I have no more to say about that other than thank you, everybody who has been so lovely about it. Um, there is now tea available on my website shop if you want to buy Alice Fraser Tea with Alice branded tea. It's got little one-liners on the tabs. I thought it was a fun idea if you want to have tea with Alice tea. Uh, you can do that. You can get that on my website. Uh, I will be doing The Bugle live uh, next month in Dublin and Manchester. I'm doing Good Ship Comedy on Monday. And I am now... Having finished my show, open to suggestions for content. If you want me to write an article, particularly if you are a Patreon subscriber, if you want me to address a subject, a topic, something of concern to you, please email me, alicerfraser at gmail.com, tweet me at alliterative, A-L-I-T-E-R-A-T-I-V-E, -E, or message me on the Patreon app. I'm always available um, 
for conversations there. So you can hear I'm running out of breath, I'm running out of brain. I will let you listen to the rest of this podcast conversation with my brother, Dr. Henry Fraser. You're having tea with Alice. So, who are you and what are you drinking? I'm your brother, Henry Fraser, and I'm drinking Chili Chili Bang Bang, which seems to be some kind of brew of robust with vanilla and cinnamon and chili. It's quite delicious. Good, good choice. I'm drinking the same thing, but an iced version. I, I, if I'd known, I would have done the same. I'll, I'll have the hot one. No, 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 no. Um, I actually think that robust gives me a headache. Because I've been noticing a weird headache and the correlating factor is the robust 15 minutes before. Oh, interesting. Maybe it's because your body expects it to be caffeinated and it's not? I think it's just because it um, dehydrates you a little. Does it? Yeah, it's diuretic. Yeah, I don't believe that. Flush water out a little. I, I don't know if the science holds up on that. Could be a placebo effect. I don't know. Who knows? Anyway, uh before your headache kicks in what have you been thinking about recently what have you been wrestling with well I'm still on the same thought that I actually wanted to talk about last time I was on which was what a year ago I still haven't done anything with it which is Some a testament ago, to yeah. me yeah just a testament to my lack of intellectual productivity at the moment but um, tell me what you've been thinking well last time I was on I wanted to talk about I wanted to have my little rant about swearing and coarseness and crassness in um, places where it didn't used to be acceptable and how it's become acceptable or more widespread. So when you say that, let's contextualise this in the discourse. At the moment there is some sort of discussion about civility that's being hijacked as a way of shutting people up. But there is also very clearly a degradation of what's acceptable from statesman figures, for example. Yeah, I think a lot of the discussion about civility now has to do with um, giving people the benefit of the doubt and not sort of treating uh, people with whom you have disagreements as your enemy. Yeah. And I, I talked about that last time. And, yeah, I think, um, yeah, extending some kind of charity to people and not personally attacking them, you know, that's a basic rule, the ad hominem rule that you learn at as an undergrad, that that's not a valid argument. And mm. at hominem, it's, it's an attack on the person rather than on the argument or the stance or the policy or whatever it happens to be, and it's not productive. You know, we learned that. But this is a bit different. I think it's related, and I think it doesn't help. Uh, I, don't, I don't think it helps things. But, yeah, I am not a prude. I don't have... You know, I, I don't sort of object on puritanical grounds exactly, although I do object on a strangely sort of utilitarian moral ground. So, I mean, I do, I mean... Okay, make the <coughs> distinction because yeah. otherwise that does just sound like prudishness. Yeah, okay, so... Well, I am a bit of a prude. I mean, I do, I find it, I find it a bit gross and mm-hmm. unnecessary and I think, you know, the world's, there are enough ugly things in the world without just adding to that... Mm. out of um, a desire to make an impact, a sort of laziness. Um, yeah, and just it just it still 
has some shock value and I, I find it sort of out of place in so many discussions. But that's part of it is it's so out of place. Do you think it's a function of the technology of this kind of... The nature of the internet is you lack these paralinguistic cues for which emojis are not an adequate replacement. The tone of voice uh, of non-confrontation or inquiry or uh, friendliness is completely stripped. So you try and put it back in either by using stronger language or by doing these weird sort of disclaimers within the text of this isn't me being aggressive, but... And then it comes across as aggressive anyway. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I saw this the, quite... The I'm not a racist, but... Well, yeah, a little bit yeah. of just like, this is just a very gentle reminder and then it comes across as very, um, very harsh. I saw this recently. Uh, someone put up a post of great female acts to follow in the wake of this recent scandal with Louis C.K. coming back to the stage... 10 months after having kind of basically disappeared off the public stage mm. without having received any clear punishment for his misdeeds other than general opprobrium, which is or isn't enough. I don't know. We don't know. We haven't decided yet. But apparently it was, it was more or less generally agreed that it was too soon for him to drop in and do a set. Without <laughs> it was more or less yeah, agreed by it him. It was just by, well, as far as I can see, by the internet. Okay, right. Um, anyway, so the response for that was people putting out lists of female comedians who you might like. Someone did a list. Someone else dropped my name in on that list, mm. saying, oh, you want to add Alice to that list? And the person who'd done the original list was annoyed and said, well, as I said in my original post, it's not a complete list. It's just people off the top of my head. Make your own list and tell it to your friends. You don't need to tell me. Like, you don't need to tell her colleague just because I didn't remember in the original list. And within those two tweets, from there, it got very angry. And it's two people who essentially are agreeing. They're both of goodwill. They both want to promote women in comedy. Both of them like me. The person who wrote the original list and didn't include my name is a friend of mine. Clearly just didn't have me on the tip of her head. I'm not offended by that. But all of a on sudden... the tip of her head? Pointy head? Tip of her tongue. <laughs> <laughs> post Edinburgh fatigue. Post Edinburgh fatigue. But this is the thing, it's post Edinburgh for her as well and uh, she's had a big... I mean, it, it just wouldn't even have struck me to be annoyed by it. But now all of a sudden I'm in this list of people discussing civility online in a very uncivil way. Yeah, well, I mean, there are different standards of civility and... You know, yes, uh, putting the correct attributions and footnotes and, you know, the highest civility in the academic sense is not to miss anyone in your literature review, right? Mm. That's the kind of highest civility. And there's something to be said. I mean, that's a different topic. It's a different rant. There's something to be said for those academic standards, even though they're a bit um, fusty and and rigid uh, and, and ac the academic style is not particularly accessible to a lot of people and you know, academics are accused of being in an ivory tower but there is something to you know those standards have been developed over time for a reason but I'm not talking about yeah you know, I'm not I wouldn't expect people on Twitter to be or, or elsewhere or you know talking off the cuff on television to be footnoting their footnoting their way through so I mean just to address one thing that you said there was that whether you know does the medium uh, encourage uncivil reactions um, or does it encourage you know well I think yes the the brevity lends itself to misinterpretation I think also that 
it's probably a symptom of actually quite a good thing, which is, and now this is going to sound extremely snobby, but it's not intended to be snobby, just that there was a time when only the most highly educated, elite, uh, fortunate, privileged people really had the opportunity to communicate in writing at all. Mm. And the standard expected of them was an elite standard. And now we fortunately live in a world where literacy is, continues to, to rise and, and more or less anyone who has the, fortune, the good fortune to grow up in a Western liberal democracy is pretty literate. But that means also that... And increasing um, numbers of people in the second and third worlds as yeah, well have right. access yeah, to Yeah, that's internet. right. And so, but, so that means that people are not writing for an One elite audience. One of the most fascinating uh, for things I read in a UNHCR paper was that when given money or small loans, people even in the most remote farming areas of uh, <coughs> countries in Africa or places, regions of India will buy a mobile phone with internet access before they will buy anything else well that's understandable isn't it it's the information is so valuable but yeah I mean there's an article and I can't remember it off the top of my head I'll have to send it to put in your show notes perhaps about how the literary style has just the number of clauses and sub clauses and qualifications which are just so common you know what we consider to be a, fl- a florid sort of antiquated style well you know perhaps it's florid and antiquated with qualifications and sub clauses and digressions um, and sort of that recursive structure for a reason because people had felt they had to be very precise. Yeah, well, um, this is the thing. In, in favour of precision at the moment, the fashion is for uh, authenticity, as though authenticity and precision are oppositional, that you speak from the heart and not from the head. You speak from the gut. And I think it is a, there's an appeal to that. People like the idea... Of uh, and it sort of comes with also the cult of personality and people online and these online personalities, people like the Kardashians or people like uh, Instagram influencers or people like YouTube, uh, people speaking directly to the cameras, and that there's an appeal to that that you're you're not that you're getting something that is somehow more authentic by virtue of not being edited, even though often it is a production of authenticity, it is a pretend authenticity. It's very scripted, it's very directed, it's very um, calculated and edited to present this image of authenticity but part of that image requires you not to give citations not to notice the people behind the camera not to you know thank your producer or your director or whatever it happens to be oh because it's just you you're just selling because it is just you yeah and and you're not even selling yourself well (laughs) of course yeah well i mean that's an interesting take on it I think anyway to get to my point my point is you know I, I probably have presented myself with this kind of crazy elitist who's so dismissive of the plebs who can't write in a highfalutin style but that's not what I'm saying I actually think that everybody I don't think anyone would have thought that until you said it okay but, sure. but uh, what I what I what I do think is that everybody is capable of writing better than they do mm. than they than they permit themselves to uh, and you know people obviously everyone's busy but it's worth taking the time and I think that the that the, the kind of use of obscenity and crass and coarse ways of expressing things is a kind of laziness and I think it's wrong because it it creates a sort of it does a few things one is that it flattens everything out um, 
And another is that it sort of uh, prompts a race to the bottom. Uh, but I think the, the worst actually is the, is the first one, is flatten everything out. And I can explain what I mean if you... Yeah, I, I, I think I understand, but l- I'll tell you what I think and then you can tell me what you go mean. Go for it, go for it. Because the distance between what you say and what people hear is always um, bigger than you think it is. In my head, it, what you are saying speaks to things like, this is the worst, or oh my God, this is the best. Put everything in the bin. These kind of very extreme statements to yeah. convey an emotion. And the thing is that every emotion in the moment feels extreme, and if you are communicating that moment, emotion in the moment that you are feeling it... It's the only emotion that you're having and therefore it is the biggest emotion in the world. It, you know, and I do, I'm, I'm guilty of it myself. I was at the uh, end of the road festival. I saw a man wearing a kilt, a Hawaiian shirt, a very well-kempt goatee and Crocs and a sort of a cowboy hat. <laughs> and I said, this is the most scandalous thing I've ever seen. It is by no means the most scandalous thing I've ever seen, but I wanted to convey how confusing that was to me because he had a very well-kempt beard, which implies that he has some sense of fashion, and yet he has chosen incredibly incongruous elements to express his persona. Oh, no. And it was just this moment of going, what is he doing? I was confused. I was kind of scandalised, and so I did a tweet where I said, this is the most scandalous thing I've ever Yeah, seen. but I mean, that's sort of mild. I mean, there is that tendency, hyperbole plays, you've only got a sentence to get across this thing, so going for a big swing is the easiest thing. So, I mean, it has to do with Twitter, but also on TV, I, um, you know, and my guilty pleasure is watching UFC. Um, I also, you know, I mean, t- truly, to be honest, it's partly because I'm very interested in the technical aspects of the different martial arts, especially the wrestling and the jiu-jitsu, but also just, you know, it's kind of an amazing spectacle too. But one of the things that even, you know, in that, the things that that different fighters will say after a fight, the way that they'll express themselves and even the promoter who, you know, all props to him, he's one of the probably the most successful fight promoter in history, mm. Dana White. I remember him trying to describe why this particular fight card was so excellent and outstanding and remarkable and he said that was a real holy shit moment and in a fight full of holy shit moments that was the most holy shit or something like that and that was kind of to be captured the problem Mm. (laughs) is that it was an extraordinary card and it was an extraordinary fight and it was sort of an extraordinary display of human character and aggression and tenacity and skill and courage and um, wiliness and, you know, all the things that you might watch a fight for. And that was all he could say about it. He, the, the impresario. The spectacle, the, 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 understood the, it more than anyone else who sh- Yeah, yeah. And that's, and that's all he could say about it. Um, and that's a sad world, isn't it? If, if... I mean, I guess you have the advantage of being able to just see it and watch it for yourself. But also, if that's all you heard about it, that's a little bit sad. And that's where, you know, it's an aesthetic objection, but it's also a moral objection because things aren't all just made of shit. Well, yeah. (laughs) But also, okay, so here there's two or three things that that has prompted for me to think. First of all, that until we articulate ideas that we have... They are just feelings that we have. It's one of the reasons why I'm so interested in 
this kind of conversation in complex, nuanced conversation because if you only ever see or hear or are required to provide simple, simplistic... Hot takes. ...emotional hot takes, yeah. you don't examine your feelings and they don't develop. You actually don't develop them. You think they are fully developed, but they are two-dimensional until you probe them. Yeah, I mean, that's they why writing is the... That's why writing a book is still considered the highest intellectual endeavour for somebody to try and express a long and complicated idea in well, a book. Well, our minds present us with the illusion that we have drawers and drawers of ideas and you can pull the drawer out at any time and it will be full. That's what our minds say to us. But it's not until you do pull the drawer out that it does become full. Until you start taking the things out of the drawer, they don't exist until you are required to present them and, and, and you can do that in your own mind, but it is done more easily through conversation. We work in a dialectical way. So until you're actually asked to reach for the bottom of that drawer, it's two-dimensional. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. And, and, and that's the, that's the, that is a sort of very enlightenment, enlightenment idea about what the purpose of conversation, sort of a Kantian enlightenment notion yeah I, I really believe that and that's maybe from an Alice in Wonderland how do I know what I think until I've said it <coughs> kind of idea the second thing I think is that there is a false a false argument which I think you've slightly bought into that this is an elitist line of thought but if if rap has taught us nothing it is that you know, nothing else. If rappers taught us nothing else, it's that people of all classes have access to language. And have the capacity to craft it. And have the capacity and to craft complex, nuanced expressions of emotional states and, and uh, social dynamics that go unexamined far too often. You have incredible beat poetry coming out of, you know, places in America where people are not even literate. You have incredible rap that comes out of really rough places. You projects, have yeah. Rough projects. You have uh, poetry that comes out of the refugee camps on Nauru in Australia that is so precise mm. in articulating. Precise is the is the word. Speaking of which, you're complex. on fire today. You're, huh? you're on fire today. You've obviously warmed up by the festival. But <laughs> carry on. Um. Yeah. Well, this is the thing, and all, you know, comedy as well, which is although as all arts nowadays tends to be dominated by middle-class people. There are people of all classes in comedy, everyone from Tim Fitzheim and Tom Horton, who are legitimate peers of the realm, to people who are very working class, Susie Ruffle, Tiff Stevenson, who've come up through great hardship to be able to, you know, perform to thousands and thousands of people really well and really articulately and... Every joke, you know, the word choice, the word placement, the timing, the delivery is all about precisely communicating a particular thing. So I don't think it's a classist argument to make. Well, it's not intended to be a classist <laughs> argument, although I'm conscious, check my privilege, my ridiculous privilege. I'm not even going to list them because they're so obvious. Um, hmm. But, yeah, so what was I saying? It was the flattening... Uh, 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 there's the flattening and, and the flattening you know what we need and what, what our public conversation doesn't need more of is the flattening 
into two dimensions of everything as either this or that, us or them, that kind of tribalism. And then I can't remember what my other point was. Can you Sorry remember? For it doesn't matter. No, it doesn't matter. That was the main about one. civility, right, and swearing, oh. and then also citation and depth. Oh, so yeah, yeah. It was the flattening and it... I think it was the, the disingenuousness, the, the lack of authenticity that hides behind. So actually, I think this goes back to the whole, you know, well, what was the moral basis against profanity? What did it used to be? Well, it used to be that profanity was taking, making an oath in vain to take the Lord's name in vain. That was what was profane. That was what swearing was. It was taking an oath, a declaration of sincerity in the highest terms. And the in my opinion, incorrect basis for that was that it was somehow um, sullying this um, abstract higher thing, which in that religious context was was a deity. Mm. But I think that the same, I think that that's a justice, it's not actually too far, and nor should it be surprising that it is too far from what the utilitarian problem is anyway what I consider just the strictly non-religious problem which is that if you if everything becomes the highest oath then what oath can you trust it undermines you know it's it's a swearing is to, to, to swear is a sign generally when people say you know I fucking love this I fucking hate that it's a declaration of the sincerity we still call it swearing and in a way what the person is doing is demonstrating in the, the strongest, strongest language. possible language, their commitment to this thing. But, you know, by doing that, you make the oath worthless. You make a real oath, you gradually chip away at it. That's what I think. That's what I feel. I think, you know, I'm happy to be, I suspect there'll be many people who would just think, oh, this is nonsense. This is sort of, this is hand wringing over nothing. Um, Look, I think swearing can be clever and funny. When I do uh, kids <laughs> gigs, and I've met a few kids at the festival whose parents are comedians or who have been exposed to comedy uh, by virtue of being part of the industry. Um, and some of them swear and some of them don't. And some of them ask me about swearing. They say, can I come to your sh- grown-up show if they saw my kids' show? I was doing a kids' show there as well. And I say, well, it's got very strong language and some adult themes. I don't think you should. Uh, or I don't think you would necessarily enjoy it. And they'll ask me about the swearing thing and I say, well, it's good to know swear words, but it's not... It's no fun if you know them when you're a child because they lose the thrill. Like they, they do lose the thrill. That's right. So that was the other... That, was, that brings me back. Was it, that, um, <laughs> well, yeah, then, then, then... So, one, you flatten everything out. You lose precision, as mm-hmm. you put it. You put it very well. Two, you, you um, undermine the seriousness, the seriousness of other professions of commitment Mm -hmm. and uh, and you uh, I lost my thread again I'm too tired it's okay and and then the third one is specialness Uh, oh profanity you know that was the second one and the third one I'll come back to when I when my adult well, brain. What, what, what do you feel about then? So, for example, now there is a tr- trend towards making more subjects taboo, making more jokes taboo. And uh, the last part of my trilogy podcast has come out, which contains, I think, a potentially problematic joke 
um, that I delivered in the course of this three-hour performance, and I'm not sure if I delivered it well enough, so we'll see if people are very very angry about it or not. <laughs> That's why I'm not a comedian. It's too stressful. Too stressful. Too stressful. But the point is uh, that there are areas now that are almost taboo. There are subjects and questions that have become... Uh, delicate and dangerous and there's something nice about that insofar as it is rendering things but th then the problem is that people will always want to break the taboo and those things will become swear words in the way that people are not offended by the word fuck as much as they are offended by the word cripple for example Yeah, right. Like, cripple has a much more visceral offence like no one is offended by the word fuck anymore Absolutely no one. I well, mean, that's right. You wear it out. You certainly wear, you it, wear out. it out. It is worn it? out. It is worn out. It is worn out. Whereas if somebody says fucking cripple, the cripple part of that is a much worse. The fuck does term. add some ugliness to it. It does add, It's it like, adds mm, it. delicious ugliness. It's a sprinkling of ugliness. But people are more offended by the second part of that, which is a new thing. That is a new thing. I'm not quite sure what to make of it, but yes, you're right. It does create. So maybe my, maybe my concerns are in vain. It's just a shift. But um, that was the other thing that I remembered what I was, what I was getting at, which, and, and we sort of hinted at it or we kind of uh, 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 prodded towards it, jested towards it earlier, which is the, the idea that your experience is, you know, and I'm no psychologist. I'm no uh, psycholinguist. But, you know, one's experience is definitely shaped and one's thoughts are definitely shaped by the vocabulary to which one has access or which, which makes itself available. And those words crowd out other words because of their emphasis. And then, so the effect of the flattening of the de-solemnifying is also crippling if I... May it is crippling if 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 you if you, and the thing is so I'm not saying oh well we should enforce censorship that's you know that's not my thing I'm not interested in censoring language which is not where the harm uh, uh, that I you know where the harm is pretty diffuse and hard to to point to but I think that everyone would do well to see the stakes I think that's the thing. Right, we we think of the an objection to coarseness and obscenity as puritanical, uh, religious, um, and and therefore for kind of woke, uh, non-religious liberal people, um, therefore irrational and unnecessarily restrictive. But I, I what I'm trying to argue for is a case for reconsidering the harms, understanding the harms in a different way. Yeah. Well, certainly just as a kind of a practical matter for whoever it is who's listening to this, the idea of just in the same way as, like, check your privilege, check if there's a better way to say something that you're trying to say. And take the two seconds to try because that, that actual moment will be... It will redound to your benefit. That is a, that is a moment in which you're extending your capability as an individual and as a thinking person and as a communicating person it's well, not easy but it's not you know in the same as it's not easy to work out at the gym when you exercise that muscle you get something from it as with almost every discipline the practice of the discipline itself is self-care 
this is something I want to talk about and then I want to talk about something else with you. Self-care as a fad. <laughs> um, I think that's a good... I mean, that is a good break point. I think that's what I want to say. So, yes, yeah, do indeed. Self-care as yeah. a fad of this idea of, of pampering yourself, which is a rebellion against the stresses of the world, against the stresses imposed by the world, that you should have a bath or wear a face mask or do your nails or whatever it is, I think is dangerous in four ways. Dangerous in four ways. We're very structured. <laughs> Way the first. Way the first that it is dangerous. Uh, it is a distraction from real problems. So instead of solving your problems, um, you engage in self-care. One. Way one. Distraction from. Distraction from. Uh, way number two, it is just capitalism in a different hat far too often. It is just saying that if you buy this other thing, then that will solve all of the stresses of the same thing. It's, yeah. It is uh, not necessarily solving any of your problems. Right. Distraction, distraction. Commodity. Commodity. Uh, way number three is that there are things that are not wellness-based that are self-care, that are not characterised as self-care. Doing your taxes is self-care. Doing Ugh. some push-up, huh? Yes. Yes, it is. I know. You know, cleaning your room is self-care. It's oh, very Jordan Peterson. <laughs> solving a problem with somebody, you know, having that argument you've been putting off or that uncomfortable conversation yes. is self-care. Yeah. So that it is... Um, I guess the third one is that it is um, a misattribution of the term. Right, yes. And the fourth one is that while it is very nice to have a bath and, and so on and so forth, turning it into a religious practice <laughs> of the, you know, make yourself beautiful and then you don't have to be stressed out by the horrors of the world. Make yourself, you know, buy one of Gwyneth, Gwyneth Paltrow's $60 rose jade vaginal kegel balls you know all of that <laughs> that so it gross. is yeah but that, that that is the woman's body is beautiful the woman's body is beautiful but the, yeah. that commodifying the ball that goes inside the vagina is not beautiful yeah. thank right. you <laughs> uh, but that that is uh, it's taking the place of a genuine um, you know the best thing you can do for yourself according to science, is something for somebody else. So while it is important to take breaks, while it is important not to drive yourself in the ground, while, while it is important to take time and thought for your own well-being, because if you can't, you know, if you can't handle your shit, you can't handle anything else, turning this, you know, turning it into something other than an indulgence, pretending that it is a virtue, that it is piety to get your nails done in some weird... But are they really... I mean, I'm sort of dislocated. Yes. Are they corners of the internet yes. slash Instagram slash I don't know what, Twitter, whatever, where that is the attitude? Is that yes, real? it is. That is real. Oh, man. And, 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 it can, and it can disconnect you from a sense of duty and responsibility. Yeah, I mean, you are sounding very Jordan Peterson right now. Sorry. Sorry, but that's what I've just been thinking I mean, about. Yeah, no, and I mean, you know, I think I like that I, I think, well, this is the thing about Jordan Peterson is I think he's rather a bit like a daddy coming to um, administer discipline to uh, a group of Look, children who feel like they need the paternal attention. I mean, it's, yes, what you're saying, in other words, what you're saying is sort of fairly, this is, this is being a grown-up, isn't it? It's being a grown-up. It's, it's not, you know, pull your socks up and never get a massage. I think those things are good and they're important to do, but that treating that, treating it like 
something that is virtuous in and of itself. It's this kind of purity mentality you were mentioning before of like the purest thing is to, you know, steam your face in a forest glade. All right, I see what you mean, I see. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it's virtuous. It's, it's, it's virtuous to the, well, yeah, it's, it, that's right. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a means a nice to an thing end. to do. The means to an end, and it might be virtuous insofar as it, it renders a person kind of capable of uh, facing up to whatever other real But that is never part of the discourse yeah. about it. It's, it's never presented as making you more capable. And if it does, people don't talk about the things that it's made more capable of. Nobody does a Facebook post of saying, well, I went and got my, you know, um, pores extracted by this lady in a weird post-colonial reenactment of race dynamics in the 1800s and then I walked out onto the street and felt more capable of giving money to a homeless person. Well, or more capable. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, let me put a counter-argument though. What, I mean, I'm not sure what I think of it but let me just put it anyway because mm-hmm. it just jumped into my head. So, well, that what the what what is being sold is just pleasure, right? Mm. And a sense of and that's ease. Fine. So what's wrong with that? More of that. It's fine. Pleasure is fine. But it's not a virtue in itself. But isn't, I mean, some might say that it is. It's the only virtue. I mean, yeah, like maybe that's what I object to. Maybe pleasure. it's objecting to... I think that what I object to is that, that it is a manifestation of helplessness. Ah, okay. Now so that's you're interesting. Not, you're that's not, interesting. You're, even if your idea is that pleasure is the highest goal, you're saying, I am only capable of causing pleasure for myself. I have right. no higher aspiration than that, than to provide myself pleasure and potentially share vicariously my pleasure with people on the internet, I mean, which again, in turn returns of, pleasure to me. A certain kind of hedonic... I don't know what you would call it, what this, but you know, someone might say, well, maybe if everyone just set themselves to that goal, the world would be a better place, right? If everyone was just steaming their faces and yeah, <laughs> maximizing face steam. Maximizing face steam. Optimizing steamy face. Okay, Boyo, we should wrap this up. I want to plug your product. You've built a thing. Oh, I mean, I participated in the building of a thing uh, with uh, another chap who you know very well, uh, Pat Brown. Uh, it's called uh, Code Pact. Uh, or, or, tree or tree scribe, the most recent iteration, which is still in beta. Um, thank you for for the plug. Yeah, it's a it's a tool for custom building uh, documents out of templates. Uh, it's focused at the moment on legal documents, but I can imagine it being used for anything. I was just imagining using a kind of the way that we do these decision trees that generate text to to generate a list of like exactly the baby equipment that you should buy based on your parameters. Um, yeah, it's a sort of a, it's a system for taking stepping a person through a series of decisions that translate into pre-programmed text. In this case, legal text. So treescribe.com is the is the beta version of what we're turn it into and codepack.com is the the version that's up and running at the moment yeah so codepack.com treescribe.com basically as far as I understand it the legal side of it which is what's working at the moment (coughs) is that making a contract writing a legal document usually involves sitting down with a lawyer and they will talk you through various clauses and ask you questions about what you want so as with let's make the analogy to what I said before, you think an agreement is quite two-dimensional until you start working it out. So you say, for example, I would like to buy a table from you once every six months for the next three years. 
And then you say, well, what do you mean by a table? How good does the table have to be? How do we define every six months? How are we going to pay? What if money changes? If I'm living in America and you're living in Australia, who pays for the shipping? All of these questions start to emerge. What if the table breaks on the what way? What if the table breaks on the way? What yeah. if the table breaks when it's arrived? What if the table doesn't last for the full six months? Are you All of these questions begin to emerge the moment you start to interrogate the agreement. Yeah. And usually you will be paying a lawyer in six-minute increments in order to talk you through those questions. As far as I understand it, the thing that you have built helps you along the way, asks the questions, so you're not paying out the nose for legal advice that is sort of built in like an IKEA flat pack. That's right. Yeah, I mean, that's a great way to describe it. That's a good way to describe it. I think... That's the feature for for uh, you know small businesses who want to do in the tech uh, business, kind of digital agencies, designers, software developers, web developers, digital marketers, anyone who's providing those kinds of services. We've got document templates for them to just kind of step through. Uh, and the other thing we're working on right now is to you know we've built this uh, incredible structure for. Um, for sort of setting these questions that dig deeper and deeper into an issue, starting with a sort of a fairly simple question and working your way down to a level of detail uh, and, and be able to generate uh, little chunks of text with more questions uh, inside them uh, along the way. So that's actually where we're building a tool so that people can do that for their own kind of templates. So, for example, if you're in a small business, you have a sales uh, division and you want to really make sure that they have a lot of flexibility in what they do but you don't want them to make mistakes uh, in choosing you don't want too much flexibility well you can set very detailed kind of optionality that that's very granular uh, and so we're, we're working on that at the moment it's very um it's very intellectually challenging it's also for me it's been good to to just get into the nitty-gritty of getting things done day by day and um, connecting the right people with the right product. Well, I'm very pleased to support it. Um, so treescribe.com or codepack.com, depending on whether you want to try the new fancy beta version or the one that actually works. <laughs> they, I mean, they both work. The fancy beta version is nicer in some ways, but with less functionality. And the, the original version is, we're very proud of it, but it was built in a somewhat piecemeal way. So we're trying to rebuild it in such a way that it will be easier to add things on, essentially. Um, that it will be less complicated to add things on in the future and that it will be more elegant and efficient. Excellent. Well, thank you for having tea with me. Where can people find you online? Um, I am gradually developing an online presence, much to my chagrin. So I, I blog for this business, of the, uh, the Code Pact blog. I uh, occasionally answer questions and rant um, in a generally benevolent way on Quora. Um, you can get me uh, on Twitter at, at Henry Fraser Echo, or you can get Code Packed on Twitter at, at Code Under Dash Packed. Brilliant. Thank you for having tea with me. Thank you.
Oh, do you know, oh, do you not? This dolphin mistress we have got. Elsie Thompson, it is her name, and she helps the dolphins at every frame. Lousy rifle doll, lousy rifle day. On Monday morning, when she comes in, she hangs her coat on the highest pin. Turns around for to view her frames, crying, damn you, dolphins, cry up your ends. Lousy rifle doll, lousy rifle day. And when the boss, he looks round the door, tie our ends up, doffers, he will roar. Well, tie our ends up, we surely do, for Elsie Thompson, but not for you. Lousy rifle doll, lousy rifle day. Oh, Elsie Thompson is going away, is it tomorrow or yet today? We'll tie our ends up and leave our frames and wait for Elsie to return again. Lolly rifle doll, lolly rifle day.